Psalm number 8 is our text this morning, the 8th Psalm. If you noticed as we read this morning, the psalm ends as it begins. The psalmist is glorifying the Lord in verse number 1. He's saying, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And then he ends the same way when we get to verse number 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Brother J.T. said something this morning that, I mean, these things are on my mind in Psalm 8. But he said something during his, his uh, message this morning. He said, if you don't see his glory, remember what he said next? You've missed it. If you don't see his glory, you've missed it. And this, this is a fabrication of a flower that's before me here. This isn't a real flower. But the real flower, if you can't see God's glory in that flower, you've missed it. If you can't see his glory in all of creation, you've missed it. That's somewhat of what David is talking about here. Nehemiah 9 verse 6 says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. You ever think about the birds who, who settle on these high lines power lines out here and they sing their song they're doing what God created them to do they're glorifying God because they're doing what God created them to do um, what about man what about us what's the chief end of man to glorify God and 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 uh, enjoy him love him you know forever uh, that's that's our chief end is to glorify him and I mean isn't that what the word of God says whether you eat or you drink, you know that's a favorite verse of mine. I say it so often, or whatsoever you do, we're to do all to the glory of God. Um, so that, that, is, that is the vision. That is, that is the pattern. Um, Psalm 19 says, beginning in verse number 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you can look at the heavens again and not see the glory of God, you've missed it. You've missed it. And the firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You ever think about that much? The sun, it touches every part. Um, it's seen. You know, the night sky in the city not seen so much as it is in the country, but Day unto day, not in the night. There is no speech nor language, no play. I mean, I can't speak really any other language. I was, I was going to, to um, mess with Lydia when she came out. I was already outside when she came out yesterday morning, and I was going to try to say good morning to her in German, and I, all of a sudden I couldn't remember how to do it anymore. So I don't speak you know, other languages. I've got a sister-in-law who speaks, who speaks a lot of other languages, but there's not... It says here, a speech. It's not a people, group, anywhere that speaks any sort of language where this voice of God is not heard. Um, 
No, no language anywhere where the voice of these things, the heavens declaring the glory of God and the firmament showing forth his handiwork where it's not seen. So the glory of God is not a hidden glory. It's not a hidden glory. I know the minds and the eyes of men are blinded, uh, but they've, they've seen, and we see that in Romans 1, right? And they suppress, you know, the truth. But this glory is not a hidden glory. It's a declared glory. It's declared all around us. I mean, there's really not much anywhere that, that you could be where you're not, you're not going to see it. It is a declared glory shown in those things around us that God has made. The psalmist says that these things are the works of his fingers. And we know Scripture tells us that so that we can understand it. We, we know that, that God has spoke things into existence. But just so that you know, the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the earth. That's quite the image, especially if you have a vivid imagination. Uh, you start thinking about eyeballs. Anna has a vivid imagination. Start the eyeballs running, you know, eyeballs got legs and they're running throughout the whole earth, you know. Um, she has that kind of imagination. I'll say things sometimes and she just starts laughing and laughs and laughs and laughs because that's going, it's just playing in her mind, you know, what I've said. Um, but we understand that by just just his fingers, I mean, it, it, there's there's... It was effortless for God to do the things that he's done. Um, he didn't just create one flower. We're talking about these flowers. Um, there's, there's several different uh, fabricated varieties there in that, in that vase in front of us. But God has made a glorious array of species, of colors, of shapes, um, you know, of, of fragrances even, uh, of different flowers. He could have made just one flower but he didn't. That's, that's not the kind of God that, 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 we, that we serve. This God that's our God that Brother J.T. was talking about, I mean, there's all sorts of varieties of flowers and colors and shapes and sizes. And yet the Scripture says in Luke 12, 27 through 29, the Lord says, Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory, there was a glory that Solomon had, Right? was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Think about the glory that God has created in everything that is around us. But the example that the psalmist uses to declare the wonder of God's glory is not a flower, though the glory of God is there. It's not a flower that he uses, but it's the expanse of the heavens. It is the space that is above us, the stars, the planets, the moons, that he's using here to display the glory of God. You think about that about the flower and clothing the field. Think about how God has clothed the blackness at night that is above us with the brilliance that he has clothed the heavens. It is quite remarkable to think about. And as wondrous as those things are, God's glory. I mean, how much time have you... Have you I know you've done what I've done. I know you've, on a, on a clear night, you've stared up into the heavens and looked upon the stars and the distant planets, and you've, you've wondered... 
at the glory of those things. Um, and as wondrous as they are, his glory is above them. God's glory. That's just, that's just a little bit, just a glimpse, just a little bit of God's glory. Think about Moses saying, show me your glory. And God showed him a little bit. And we've seen a little bit of God's glory. But God's, God's glory is well above, way beyond what we see in the heavens. Hebrews 3, 4 says, He who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. Right? He who built the house has more honor. The house didn't build itself. It didn't go out in the woods and cut down a tree and then send it through a mill and size it down into the size of boards that needed to be by dimension and erect itself, nail itself together, and then put all the finishing touches. He who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. God has more honor, more glory than the things that we see around us. But they do glorify him. And, and David, you think about what David, what we have available to us today. There, there, there is a telescope on my front porch. David didn't have a telescope. David didn't need a telescope. The most famous telescope right now, anybody? James Webb, space telescope, yes. David didn't need the James Webb Space Telescope to glorify God or to wonder at the glory of God. He, he looked up in the heavens with the naked eye that God had given him and he glorified God with what he saw. All that was visible. All that is visible to us. It, it declares the glory of God. It, it, is, it is shouting forth every day the glory of God. So when we look upon that flower, do we see God's glory? Does it speak to us? When we hear the birds sing, does it speak to us the glory of God? When we see the stars in the heaven, does it speak to us the glory of God? We don't need a little view of God. We need a great, big, grand, and glorious view of God. That's what we need. A big view of God. We cannot know his greatness apart from his word. I mean, we, we could look at that flower and not know you know, anything about God. But God declares himself over and over and over again within the pages of Scripture. You know, Second Chronicles 2, 6 says, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. We haven't seen the end of space yet. We've got this great big telescope now, and it's looking out there, and it's seeing not just another galaxy. It's seeing billions of galaxies. And, and he, we, we, we just dwell in this little, you know, corner, you know, of, of outer space, you know, in the, in the Milky Way, uh, which I think if I remember right, and Cohen may know this, I don't know, but, but I, I think from one end of the Milky Way to the other, Cohen, I don't know if you've, if you've read this before, but I think it, 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 at the speed of light, it takes 100,000 years. That's just the Milky Way. And there's billions of galaxies. And, and, and the, if you think about that and you think about that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, how big is God? How great is God? How glorious is God? How mighty is God? Um, much more than, than, than we, we often think of. Well, David begins in Psalm 8 verse 1 saying, O Lord, our Lord. And you see that word LORD there, the first one is all caps, right? 
It's capitalized. Uh, that's, there's an important difference between the way the two instances of Lord appear in our English uh, Bibles. Uh, the first instance is rendered Lord with all capital letters, and this is the translator's way of alerting uh, us to the fact that this word being translated here you know, is the sacred name of God that we were singing a while ago. Yahweh, which also Jehovah, you know, it is God's name is what we're looking at here, the self-existent, eternal I am. I am. That's what he said to Moses, wasn't it? I am that I am. He depends upon nothing, but everything depends upon him. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is just. We heard Brother JT extolling that to us this morning, expounding upon that, that God is right in all that he does. There's no truth apart from him. He does according to the counsel of his own will, and he does everything right. He does all things well. He can do no wrong, and he is our sovereign. O oh Lord, our Lord. He is God, the I am, and he is our Lord and our sovereign. And David says, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Creation shows forth the beauty of its creator. Shows forth the glory of its creator. And in all of its gloriousness, it is but a microscopic representation of himself. Of how grand and glorious God truly is. Romans 1.20 says that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. We see we see the finger work of God all around us, right? The things that God has touched and he told it to bloom and it, it brought forth from the ground and bloomed. He tells it to rain and it, it sends forth, the clouds send forth the rain. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So here's all these things glorifying God. And they see those things, and yet they glorify him not as God. Neither were thankful. They see all these things, and they're not even thankful, you know, for them. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And that, again, is what Brother J.T. was talking about to us about this morning. Their, their foolish heart being darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory... Remember, we're talking about the glory that we see in creation, the glory that is God. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-foot beasts and creeping things. And I was listening to a preacher about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and he was talking about a book that he'd picked up somewhere. I don't really remember where it was. Thumbing through its pages, came upon a tribute, and not just a tribute, but Really, he was trying to, to expound to people the glories of worshiping whales. When's the last time you wanted to worship a whale? A lot of people in Asian cultures worship whales. A lot of seafaring people worship whales. Um, well, if you're, 
if, if you know you could be Ahab and a whale could drive you mad, right? You remember Captain Ahab? No, don't know Captain Ahab. You, you, you've heard of the book Moby Dick? Yeah, a whale drove Captain Ahab mad. The whale bit off his leg, and then he he put a whalebone you know in its place as a prosthetic leg. And then he went out searching the rest of his days for that whale till it finally devoured him. Right? Well, you think about what this culture and what people today are being consumed by, what they're worshiping, what they're consumed with. Yet we see that whale and we see the glory of God, you know, in it, what God has created. I mean, from the, 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 the minutest, you know, creature to something as enormous, you know, as a whale. Um, To worship the creature, that's what Romans 1 goes on to talk about, to worship the creature more or rather than the creator, that's madness. It really is. That's madness. The glories and wonders of creation only serve, again, to testify of the excellency of the glory of the Lord who created it. Psalm 147 verse 4 says this, I mean, you think about this, this this telescope we were talking about, it peers out there into space and it's looking and it's looking and it's looking and it's seeing more and more and more. We can't even number the stars. But listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 147 verse 4, he telleth the number of the stars. That means that he knows the number. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. It's no difficult thing for God to know the number of the stars. It says also that he calleth them all by their names. We haven't even discovered all of them, much less called them by their names, right? Great, he goes, the very next thing he says after that is, great is our Lord. No question, no question. And of great power, his understanding is infinite, infinite. The Lord lifteth up, and, and, and this, this begins to border upon, if you think about the psalm as a whole, okay? So here David's building all this up, and I've been trying to build it up too, right? I mean, the glory and the expanse and the wonder and the majesty of creation. And then what do we find ourselves, you know, in the middle of the psalm reading? What is man? that thou art mindful of him. So he's just telling us about the number of the stars, calls them by name, great is our Lord and of great powers, understanding is infinite. And then in verse number six, we find this part. What is man that thou art mindful of him? This is what it sounds like. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise upon harp, unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. We still measure you know, our engines and our vehicles by horse power, right? So he doesn't delight in the strength of the horse. What does he take pleasure in? He doesn't take pleasure in the strength of a man or the legs of a man, it says here. 
The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. What is man that you're even mindful of him that he would take pleasure in you? Well, what, are, what are we that, that God would even, even acknowledge the fact that we're giving him glory? You know, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Man builds and boasts in what he has done. And what's he done it with? The substance that God has provided. <laughs> he hasn't done it on his own. One man said, as moon and stars are obscured in the brilliant glory of the midday sun, so men and the works of men are unnoticed when God's glory is on the scene in the darkness of night. Again, what does David use here to show forth God's glory? It's not something in the daytime where the works of men can be seen. That's what the writer's saying there. He shows forth that which is at night when everything else is covered by darkness and all that remains to be seen is the glory that God has created. The works of his hands, not the works of men's hands. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish the thing which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. I mean, all these things that are happening, we, we don't see, we don't know. But yet, God created these things with his fingers, and he hasn't taken his hand off of them. He, caused, he didn't just spin the earth, and one day it's going to spin out of control, or one day it's going to wind down and not going to spin any longer. No, God's hands are still on all these things. He sustains them. The heavens themselves appear to be infinite to us. How much more is the God who made them? How much more is the God who made them? The second verse, the psalmist says, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. You've heard people say it before, right? I mean, what we're reading here is a common saying, isn't it? You ever heard it, Daniel? Out of the mouths of babes. Still something that's said today, isn't it? Out of the mouths of babes. What are, what are people referring to when they use that analogy? Well, it really has to do with the profundity. That's not a word I use every day, Cohen. Cohen said something to me recently about liking hearing other words, you know. I know it's not a word that you've never heard before. I showed him one that was last week or the week before that neither one of us had heard before uh, that I'd run across that morning. But it's, it's referring to the profundity of truth that's coming forth out of the mouth of something so small that they probably don't even realize what they're saying that we're interpreting. That we're, and we say out of the mouths of babes. I mean, listen to what's being said. Listen to the truth out of one so small um, that's being declared. Well, in that case, we all fit that description, don't we? I mean, if God's big, then we are small. We are small. 
And the Lord said as much in Matthew eleven twenty five. He said at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. We're his children. And, and, and we're, we're declaring the glory of God, um, that God would be exalted, that God would be magnified, that God would be glorified, that God would be pleased with that is quite incredible to think of. But you think about all the creatures on the earth, which is the most helpless? Hmm? A human baby, a child, most helpless, most vulnerable, the most dependent. You know, other animals get up and walk and, and eat, you know, just soon after they're born. But God's chosen the weak and base things, hasn't he? That would be us. God's chosen the weak and base things to confound the wise. That's what 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 talk about, that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I mean, I just came to my mind again the, the story where you know, all the, the NASA scientists are you know, around a, a table or somewhere in an office, and they're talking about the fact that there's a day missing, two days. And, and they're like, where, where is this? How did this happen? And there's a Christian in the group who takes out his Bible and begins to show them. You know, it's right here. Whether they believe that or not is another matter. But they had no explanation. How could the sun have stood still? It's the glory of God. It's the might of God. It's the majesty of God to cause the sun to stand still so Joshua can continue the fight, right? But when we consider the greatness of the glories of the heavens and their expanse, you begin to see the comparison here. We are left somewhat to wonder at the contrast of those things compared to a helpless child in a crib. So here's the glory of the heavens that we started with at the beginning of the psalm. And now we're to this baby, you know, an infant, you know, in a crib. Both of them glorify God. The heavens declare the glory of God, but also God choosing weak and base and small and insignificant and vulnerable things to glorify himself. I mean, we, we, we see the equation in Scripture in different places, don't we? I mean, we see Israel, the smallest, not because they were mighty, but because they were the weakest, they were the smallest nation, and God chose to work through them. Why? Because they were small, because they were weak, because they were insignificant, because God would get all the glory. Yeah, right. He would get all the glory out of it. Yeah. So in both, God has chosen to display his glory. God chose to redeem the very creature that sinned against him. There's some glory, isn't there? Right? We rose up and rebelled against him, and God chose to redeem us from our iniquity. So you can kind of hear the wonder of David's words regarding these verses when he says in verse number 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, 
which you've ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? The works that are visible are described as the work of God's fingers, the moon, the stars. And the more we learn of those things, the less we figure out that we know. I mean, they, they look out there and they see something and they think something about it and they find out later, well, we weren't exactly right about that or we, we thought we knew everything about that, but now we're finding out things that we never even imagined uh, about it. Or that they were simply wrong altogether about. And all of these things, the scripture says, God spoke into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing. John 1, 3 says that all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. In other words, let there be light, right? Yeah. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. I mean, even Adam formed him out of the dust of the earth and breathed the breath of life into him. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. For what? His glory, His glory. And He is before all things. I mean, He created them. He's greater than the creation. And before they were, He was. And by Him all things consist. I mean, this is still held together here. The atoms, the molecules that form this solid, you know, substrate that, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I have my Bible on here. It's being held together by the word of His power. Mm-hmm. That's of God. Yeah. Right. It is. It's incredible. Sustains them. Mm-hmm. Right. We're only giving back to him what's been given to us. We love him because he first loved us, yeah. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have it. Right. Right. Exactly. That's that is true. That is true. Hebrews eleven three says, Through faith we understand. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't believe. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By the word of God. So that the things which are seen were made of things which do appear. You know. So, big view of God here. Small view of ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Become nothing. Right. Go back to nothing. <laughs> yeah. God made it out of nothing, and it can go back. It w- one day it all will go back to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, again, David gives us here a big view of God and a small view of ourselves, reminding us, I mean, we are in the cosmic scale of things. The, the grandness of the heavens, we're but dust. You know, we are dust. Right. Right. So the the percentage doesn't really work out because they don't even know how big things are, you know, but but uh but yeah. Yeah. It's going to be more. Yeah. And I don't have to I don't have to have Cohen tell y'all how fast the speed of light is. You turn on the light switch. <laughs> you can see how fast it travels through the room, right? Um Faster than sound, yes. Yeah. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end. I mean, in the vastness of the scale of everything we're talking about. Lord, make me to know mine end in the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. What is man? Thou art mindful of him. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. And mine age is as nothing before thee. That was the scale that, that Brother Bruce was talking about. I mean, if you, if you spent your entire lifetime, your lifespan, if you lived to be 80 years old, I don't know if you could all hear what he was saying, but if you spent your in, entire lifespan, if you lived to be 80, and you traveled at the speed of light throughout space, you'd see less than 1%. Probably less than, I don't know, what's, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's less, I mean, we can go half and quarter, we can keep going back, scaling it back, but, but um, you know, you, it, it wouldn't even be that, but that's what men, you know, would say. Nano. The universe? Yeah. I, I think, I think they do say that because they, they, it keeps getting bigger on them. <laughs> what does it expand into, right? If he's expanding, it'll expand into something, right? Yeah, this, this cup will only hold so much volume of liquid. Uh, what's it expanding? That's a good question. What's it expanding into if it's expanding? Yeah. It's expanding in their, in their understanding, you know, I, I think for sure. But... Um, Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, the psalmist says. So in the vastness of the cosmos, what is man? Think about this. What is man that the almighty God would take notice of him? And not only that, but would choose to be mindful, that God would choose to be mindful of us. I mean, Scripture tells you, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, that he would choose to be mindful of us. 
And not only that, but to give his only begotten son for us, that a way of salvation might be provided, that he'd be mindful of us. I mean, that has to be the highest extent of God's mindful of us, mindfulness of us in giving his only begotten son. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Image. Right. God manifest in the flesh. Mm-hmm. We, we don't think about it enough. We don't glorify God in this regard, this respect enough, uh, do we? Uh, makes us feel very, very small and insignificant in one sense. But then again, on the other scale of things, that God made all these things and yet he's mindful of man. It's, uh, it is an incredible thing. Right, right. You, you think about the fictitious character of Ahab. The man was out there hunting down whales. That's not really something I'm interested in doing. That's a massive creature. Um, as far as size and scale are concerned, you know, more than likely as big or bigger than my boat that I'm in, um, and I'm going to harpoon him you know, with a pole and, and a rope and try to drag him on board. Um, that's, that's, uh, but yet men do it, don't they? Uh, they have done it. Uh, almost wailed some species out of existence, um, having dominion you know, that Donnie's talking about. Um, the lion tamer steps in to the circus ring, you know, with, with multiple lions, you know, with a, with a whip and a chair. And back in the old days, I remember seeing a sidearm just in case, you know. <laughs> I will have dominion. If the whip and the chair don't work, you know, then I have the pistol. Um, you know, the, 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 thankfully the lions haven't, haven't been able to develop weapons of their own, you know, and, 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 and make a rifle or, uh, you know, some sort of gun to be able to shoot us with. Um, you know, we have that, that dominion. Another crazy person. <laughs> yeah, to go hunt down sharks just to tag them and catch and release, right? Yeah. Um, adrenaline, I, guess, I don't know, <laughs> has to be involved there somehow. But talking about God's image, that was, that was mentioned. Um, we, sing, we sing a hymn that has these words in it, Adam's likeness, talking about his fallen, our fallenness. In Adam, Adam's likeness now a face. Stamp thine image in its place. Final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. That's from the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his own son to be born of a virgin to redeem. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, you, you think about creation to redeem his crowning creation, to redeem fallen man. He didn't redeem fallen angels, who we are a little lower than in the creative order, uh, but he redeemed fallen man. And bring to ruin, or to redeem us from the ruin that was brought upon us by the enemy of our souls, our Lord and Savior overcame 
sin and death. He rescued ruined men from the bondage of the evil one and now sits enthroned with all powers under his feet. No wonder David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Such wondrous glory in the heavens and in the created world all around us, and yet even more, God looks upon us. He looks upon us, mindful of us, mindful of our weakness, mindful of our need of of salvation and redemption. Verse 5 says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor, made him to have dominion over the works of his hands, of his fingers, things that God created, and has put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. When you think about, I exercised some dominion this week over creation. Dominion that God has given us. There was a chicken snake in the chicken coop. I'm sitting in my chair in the living room and I receive a phone call from my daughter. Dad, there's a chicken snake in the chicken coop. So I just picked up the pellet gun. I didn't pick up the biggest gun I had. I could have got a much bigger gun. Could have blown a hole in the side of the building, you know. Um, But I picked up the pellet gun and I walked down there. And uh, Anna's standing there in the chicken coop, and she's like, right there. There's the culprit. He's already stolen one egg, and, he's, and he, had, he had another one in his mouth till, I, till she disturbed him. So I just reached up there and pulled the trigger. And I've got a video of this if you'd like to see. Dan, I didn't, I, Donnie, I didn't know it was being taken at the time. Anna was videotaping the whole thing. But the, the first egg that he ate, after I shot him in the head, he let it go. It was already crushed. It, You'll understand if you watch it later. Well, I missed him the first time. He, he moved his head. But the, the second shot was deadly. Um, then I was reprimanded by my younger brother. There are snakes that are good snakes. And I said, not when he's eating my food. That's my food. That's not, not your food. That's my food. <laughs> It makes you think about Genesis 1.26, doesn't it? God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Spurgeon said, all the dominion lost by sin is restored in Christ for those that are, that are his, Right? And we can't think of these verses here without thinking of Hebrews chapter 2, can we? Hebrews 2, 5 says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. Think about that. Think about what's being said there. It's the, the writer of the Hebrews is saying that not unto the angels did he give or put in subjection the world to come. The world to come, wherever we speak. But in but one in a certain place testified, saying, this is what we're saying here, and you know, here's, here's Psalm 8 being quoted in Hebrews 2. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all 
in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, right? Who was made a little lower than the angels, which that, just thinking about, spend some time thinking about that. God manifest in the flesh, made him lower than the angels that he created. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, becoming man, God manifest in the flesh. For what reason? The writer says, for the suffering of death. That's amazing. It's no wonder you think about some of these things that we're talking about right now that John Newton could write the hymn Amazing Grace, right? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. No wonder. Again, the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, in verse number 9, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. The way that God has been mindful of man and sending his only begotten son to taste death for us. Like the psalmist says, all glory and honor belongs to him. He's the object of our worship. He is the end of all that is to be done. All we do, we do to the glory of God. Truly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I I, I know in one sense we think about that just in the physical body and how the physical body is made. It is fearfully and wonderfully made. But in a broader context of what we're looking at here, what is man that are mindful of him, fearfully and wonderfully made? Made for what? To glorify God. That's what we're made for. And like Brother JT gave the illustration, coming to church isn't a chore. If it's in your heart to be here, glorifying God's not a chore. You know, if it's in your heart to glorify Him, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it, we desire to glorify Him. So, what will you worship? Daniel, will you worship baseball or will you worship God? What will we worship? It, it's, it sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? It sounds absurd. But people do it, don't they? They worship all sorts of things. Men worship all sorts of things, except anything but, really, the God that made him. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I'm in Revelation. Go on. <laughs> He's worthy of our worship, isn't he? In closing, let me read a paragraph. Um, by a man, I don't, you, you probably have heard his name before, A.W. Pink. He says, Brethren in Christ, when you go out at night and view the wondrous heavens and then think of your own 
insignificance. When you meditate upon the glory of God's majesty and holiness, and then think of your own exceeding sinfulness and are bowed into the dust, remember that up there is a man in the glory and that that man is the measure of God's thoughts concerning you. Remember that by wondrous and sovereign grace you have been not only predestined to be conformed to his image, but that you should, as a joint heir with him, share his inheritance. May the Lord grant each Christian reader, he says, that faith which will enable him to grasp that wonderful and blissful prospect which the word of God sets before him. What I've feebly attempted to do with Psalm 8 this morning. Um, to display in a minute, small measure the vastness of, of, of the glory of God and, and the insignificance indeed, like he said there, of ourselves and that he would be mindful of us, that he would send his only begotten son to die and taste death for us, that we should be made partakers of these things. Of, of such an inheritance. But not only that, the Bible talks about us being partakers of his nature. Right? What a glory. What a glory. Well, let's, uh, let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. What a glory that we were made to know him, to know his love, his grace, his mercy, to know forgiveness, to know reconciliation. To have fellowship with God? What a remarkable thing. Not only that, but to know Him as our Father. When you call upon the God of heaven, you can call Him Father. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, the Lord said, when you pray, pray in this manner, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah. Right, call no other man Father. Right? Yeah. Amen. Well, Lord, bless these things to your thoughts, not just today, but may the Lord cause us to think upon some of these things throughout the week. Um, they don't go in and out, but they, they, if we could have that mind in a good way, that Brother J.T. was talking about, his brother-in-law that retained, you know, Lord, help us to retain these things. Not just be hearers, but doers. Don't let these things, that the Bible puts it, Scripture puts it in these terms, that we not let these things easily, what? Slip. Don't let them slip away from us, you know, through our fingers. Let us retain them. Gird up, the Bible says, the loins of your mind. Right? Gird up the loins of your mind. 